song we just sang said, Lord, I lift your name on high. Lord, I love to sing your praises. I'm so glad you're in my life. I'm so glad you came to save us. You came from heaven to earth to show us the way. And I'm so glad about it. I'm so grateful to be with you today. Hallelujah. Lord, I lift your name on high. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Praise the Lord again, saints. Before you take your seats, before you take your seats, before you do take your seats, I just want to read this one scripture and I'll let you sit down. It's found in Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19, verses 29 through 40. And the minister has a scripture I'm going to use afterwards. He read it and I'm realizing that's the one I was looking for the whole time. Luke chapter 19. Sorry, Luke chapter 19, verses 29. Um, yeah, Luke 19, verses 29 through, uh, through 40. And it reads thus. I don't have it. Give me a moment. Amen. Ah, here we go. Luke 19, verses 29 through 40. And it reads, And it came to pass when he was come to Beth Bethpany, and Bethany at the mount called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go ye into the village over against you, in the which at your entering ye shall find a colt tied, whereon yet never man sat. Loose him and bring him hither. And if any man ask you, why do you loose him? Thus shall ye say unto him, <clears throat> Because the Lord hath need of him. I'm hoping you're in the spirit where you're saying, Lord, if you have need of me, I'm ready. I'm here. If you need me, Lord, I'm here. Verse 32. And they that were sent went their way and found even as he had said unto them, and as they were loosing the colt, the owners thereof, the people who owned the thing, said unto them, why loose ye the cult? Uh, and they said, the Lord hath need of him. We don't hear anything more from these people. We don't know if there was a negotiation. We don't know if there's money exchanged hands. As far as we're concerned, they gave the cult over because the Lord had need. I'm wondering sometimes if we are deciding what we're going to do for the Lord based on what the price is. But I'm here to say there's no negotiation. What the Lord wants from you, he wants from you. And you just need to give him his heart. Verse 35, and they brought him to Jesus and they cast their garments on the colt. And they set Jesus thereon. They set him upon their coats on the colt. And as he went, they spread their clothes in the way. And when he was come nigh, even now at the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, blessed be the king that cometh in the name of the Lord. I'm just wondering if we can just say that here today. It's going to be simply blessed is the king that cometh in the name of the Lord. One more time, blessed is the king that cometh in the name of the Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. He said, and glory in the highest. Verse 39 goes on and says, and some of the Pharisees from among the multitude said unto him, Master, rebuke thy disciples. And he answered and said unto them, I tell you that if these hold their peace, the stones would immediately cry out. 
Hallelujah. Tell somebody that I have no intentions of holding my peace today. I have no intentions of, of letting stones praise God for me. Hallelujah. Shall we praise the Lord? Hallelujah. Let's praise the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Praise the Lord. Please take your seats. Please take your seats. So grateful to be with you today. The beautiful song we sang said, um, uh, Lord, I lift your name on high. Truly, he is genuinely worthy of all praises and honor. And that's why um, I love what they said. He says they, said they shouted with a loud voice. You don't worry about what I'm doing. I'm doing it as loud as I can. <laughs> I'm doing it as loud as I can. And the scripture says that the Pharisees were mad at the ones who did it as loud as they could. Said, oh, why are you doing it like that? <laughs> why, are you, why are you saying it so forcefully? I'm trying to figure out why if you were so loud, why didn't you go somewhere else? Like if it bothered you that much, let me have my praise moment. Let me give thanks. Let me shout for joy. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I'm so grateful. The, the, the blessings of this scripture. What I think about when I think about Palm Sunday though, it's important to realize what Palm Sunday is really important. This is the, mo the week literally before what we think of as Resurrection Sunday. So this is the moment where Jesus is coming into Jerusalem, this holy city, and his intent is to, to celebrate and remember and memorialize Passover. That's why he's there, he's the Passover. In fact, this time of year, our Jewish brothers and sisters are in their temples right now, getting ready for Passover, preparing their whole house. And it's a specific time of year and it's specifically important to them. And back then, they used to go to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover. This was an important moment. Jesus is celebrating Passover. And what happens during, as they arrive towards the, at a small town close to Jerusalem called Bethany. And that's the moment that this particular story picks up. What's interesting and what's, what's important about this moment is that this isn't how the story ends. This part of the story, it's important to sometimes realize stories happen like this, where you think it's going to end in this triumphant moment, but there's something still to come. Like stories do this all the time. I'm a huge movie buff. You have to excuse me. I'm kind of into movies like that. So I'm, I'm interested in how they lay the story out. You'll often see this time in movies where just you say to yourself, ah, it looks like a great ending. Fantastic. It looks like a fantastic ending to the movie. But then just, you say, well, there's seven minutes left. That can't be right. You, you know how stories go. So you say, seven minutes left. How can we have a, you know, ah, uh, they're about to do something here. They're about, something about to go wrong. That's what your mindset is. How can it be pleasantly ending with 10 minutes left? That can't be right. There's some twist you're missing. Now, as a person who likes stories, but isn't very good at making up stories, what I tend to do is I like to share movies with people. But the problem is when I share movies with people, I like to tell people the ending. It's not a good habit, I know. But I like to let people know, hey, look at this part of the story. This is important. If you're not listening here, you're going to miss the whole thing. You, why are you watching, looking at your phone? Look at the movie. There's an important part coming up right now. And if you miss it, you're going to miss the whole thing. Sometimes we do that to each other. You know what I don't like is when somebody does that to me. 
Like, I know this is the important part of the story. Don't tell me. I've figured it out already. Right? That's what happens with storytelling. What's happened with, with, with Palm Sunday is that the, the, the disciples think that this is the end of the story. They think that Jesus has come to Jerusalem to be king. Right now. And to overthrow the Romans. They think right now is the end of the story. All this ministering we've been doing, all this healing we've been doing. In fact, they just healed two blind people before they came here. In fact, if you really look at it, one of the gospels show us that he raised Lazarus from the dead just before this moment. It seems like this is the crowning of Jesus's ministry on earth. And it would have been a great end to a film if we stopped right here. It would have been great if Jesus was the king and we all realized he was the king and we introduced him into, but when you go look at the scripture, every single chapter or every few chapters, Jesus is saying, I'm going to Jerusalem, but I'm not going there to be king, I'm coming there to be a sacrifice. The end of the story we wanted, or the part of the story we wanted, isn't the part of the story that Jesus is about to go into. And that sometimes happens with our lives. And we assume that when we're in one part of the story, that means that this is it. But sometimes Jesus is expecting you to go through something first. We want the story to end on all the good parts, but sometimes that's just what you're passing through. And your destiny is on the other side. Let me go read a scripture. In fact, let me go. Could you, that scripture you read, the one I pointed out and I said, please remember that one. Can you help me with that one? Where is that? 12, verse 12. This is the same story of Jesus coming into Jerusalem, but this is the record by the Gospel of St. John. On the next day, yep. much people that were come to the feast, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took branches of palms and went forth to meet him and cried, Hosanna. Here we were singing this today, Hosanna. What does the word Hosanna mean? Lord save us. Lord, save us. They are talking about being saved from the moment they're in. The Roman occupation has got them down. They're tired of the Roman occupation. They want freedom under a new king. And they're saying to Jesus, save us from them. Save us from them right now. Lord, save us. So short-sighted they didn't realize that the Lord Jesus hadn't just come to save them from the Romans. He came to save them from the sins of the world. Uh, you have to go through something sometimes to get the real reward. What does he say? Took branches of palms and went forth to meet him and cried. So they took palms off the trees and they start to wave them. We usually do that. Maybe next year we can have some palms and we can wave them during our worship. Let's Hosanna. Hosanna. Blessed is the king of Israel yes. that cometh in the name of the Lord. They've literally said, you are the king now. Yes. This mama has been prophet, healing, saving people, renewing lives, bringing sight to the blind, making lame people walk, making deaf hear. They said, we want you to be our king. That's a worthy thing, but, but keep going. And Jesus, verse 14, when he had found a young ass, sat thereon as it is written, fear not, daughter of Zion, yeah. behold, the king cometh sitting on Nassus' coat. So now John is telling you, actually, this was written. Mm -hmm. This is part of the story. Yeah of Jesus. 
Zechariah 9 and 9 is the, the scripture here he's referring to. It's a prophetic scripture where he's going to talk about the king's going to come into Jerusalem, sitting on a colt, and we are the daughters of Zion are going to say that this is the king. This is that moment. So everybody that's with Jesus is absolutely aware of what this moment means. They think they understand the story and they're at the end of the story and they're witnessing Jesus come and be king. But they don't realize that before Jesus is going to be their king, he's going to be their lamb. He's going to be their lamb first because he wants to make sure he saves as many people as possible. To fulfill your request, Lord, save us. I'm going to have to bypass this opportunity to be king and first become your sacrifice so that the price becomes paid for you. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. Read that again for me. Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, yeah. thy king cometh, sitting on an ass's colt. These things understood not his disciples ah. at first, but when Jesus was glorified, See, this is the part of the story that I was telling you about. John is doing for us, the reader of the gospel, what I like to do for my wife, and I know she gets annoyed by it all the time. I like to tell you, if I've read the book already, or if I've seen the film already, I want to tell you what this part means. I don't want you to wait to the end, I want to tell you right now. Like, don't make me wait. And so John is saying, hey, this is what Zechariah was talking about before. Like, I need you to know, don't miss this. This is the children, this is God, Christ himself coming in to the city of Jerusalem. And they are worshipping him as king, and that's correct. But also, Jesus is coming to be the lamb. And that's even more important than just becoming the king. So let me just, keep reading, sir. These things? Yes, sir. Understood not the disciples at the first, but when Jesus was glorified, then remembered they that these things were written of him and that they had done these things unto him. So now we've started to realize that the disciples, when they were in the moment, didn't understand what was going on. Like you can read a whole story, you can watch a whole film, and in the last two minutes, they can add a little twist and you realize what you were watching wasn't the thing you were watching the whole time. Do you remember, what's the film, uh, Bruce Willis, uh, uh, Sixth Sense? You remember Sixth Sense? You watched the whole film. I don't want to give it away just in case somebody wants to watch the film later. But you remember Sixth Sense. He's going through the film assuming he's just a regular guy talking to a kid. Oh, until we get to the end. And the last two minutes changed what I've just watched the whole time. John is telling the people, I need you to lock into what's just happened here. He's he's king, but y'all are not at the end of the story yet. There's a twist coming to this story. Thank you, Lord Jesus. There's a little twist coming to this story, and that's the nature of my God. He's writing the story, not me. See, when you're in the moment, it doesn't feel like, it doesn't feel like the part that is important. That's the whole point of a story. Let's go real, hold that scripture. Let's go to Hebrews, Hebrews 12, verse two. Verse one and two, actually. Hebrews chapter 12, verse one and two. I'm referring to this as a story for a very specific reason. And in fact, the word history comes literally from the term his 
story. Literally that, right? It's just the story that's being told. But in order for this to be a story, there has to be a teller. In order for there to be a teller, there has to be a composer or an author, right? So your story, you think, is just happening. And there's boring bits and there's interesting bits and there's parts that you can't possibly understand why it's coming. But I'm telling you, there's an author who's writing it. So the parts he's revealing today may look significant or insignificant, but the author is telling a story with your life. Let's go to Hebrews 12, verses 1 and 2. Where foreseen, yes, sir. we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witness. Yeah. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us. This scripture is basically saying, I've just in chapter 11, I've just told you about all the wonderful witnesses of the Old Testament who have come before you in faith who have been walking in faith towards some point in the future. They didn't know the end of the story, but they walked the walk of faith anyway. And I'm here to tell you, you're not gonna know the end of the story because it's you're not the author. You're not the director. You're looking for me to come into your life and tell you the end, and I don't know it. I'm in the same boat as you, trying to figure out what the next thing that's supposed to be happening is. And I know you're at a frustrating moment in your life, or you may be at a high point in your life, and you've come down off the high, and you're saying, well, why, is, if my life is so full of purpose, how do I feel this bad today? <laughs> this high moment, should be contrasted with the moment where Jesus is taken into jail just a few more days from today. He's taken and he's brutalized and he's taken and he's tortured. He's taken and he's beaten. And that's the difference between what Sunday looks like and what Thursday looks like. And that's life for us sometimes. Everybody's in your corner shouting you up, giving you all the joy and love that you can imagine. And then the next moment, no one's around. It's you by yourself going through. Let's keep reading that out. Let, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Yes. Looking unto Jesus. Who are we looking to? Jesus. Jesus. Like, if I'm on this race, and I'm being encouraged to, there is a beginning, a middle, and an end to my race, and I am somewhere in that race right now, and it's the, the authors of this particular book is saying, when you are running your race and you're in the middle of it and you're, maybe you're a long distance runner, I could never do long distance, I was, I was always a sprinter. But if you would do a long distance race, there comes a moment, a gut check moment in long distance running where you say, am I really going to finish this race? Like, this is too much to deal with, right? But you decide somehow in you, yep, I'm going to keep going, I'm only halfway through. But imagine running a race where you actually don't know where the end is. It could be very frustrating to run a race when you don't know when it's going to end. So the question is, what do I focus on? I can't focus on quarter of the way through or half the way through or three quarters of the way through. What do I focus on when I'm running a race for which I don't know when the end is? Verse 2 explains where you're supposed to look when you don't know where you are in your race. Verse 2, looking unto Jesus. And what is he? The author. The author. And finisher. Finisher of my faith. So the only person who knows what's going on with your race is the author of and finisher of your race. Look, if I was writing it, I would come in and tell you, hey, 
This is a bad day, I know, but seven days from now, it's going to be really, really good, trust me. And I would leave your life and you'd be happy. Because I'd be telling you, just like I tell my wife, trust me, this is the part where you need to concentrate. This is the part that you need. But you don't have me doing that because I didn't write your life. Who wrote your life? Jesus, the author and the finisher of your life. Like, I have some ideas of what it's going to be, but I really don't know. I have some clues and some ideas on the things you should do, but the, really the person who you need to focus on is Jesus. He's the author. He's the finisher. He's the one who's writing it out. They're going to have a down day today, I'm afraid. But then tomorrow they're going to wake up and feel real good about what tomorrow holds. Amen? Let's keep finishing that scripture. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. I absolutely love this, because now I've got to think back now to what it must have felt. Jesus is completely human and divine. There's a part of him that is completely human, and the scripture describes it as a mystery. The relationship between his Godhead and his humanity as a mystery. We don't quite understand it. We believe it by faith, but we don't understand it. But he's sitting here at this moment, and everybody's celebrating him. But the author of this exact moment is also sitting on that cult. The person who wrote the story is both hearing them cheer him as king, knowing good and well that in a few days those same people who cheer me are going to be the same people who want to throw me in jail. They're going to be the same people who ask for me to go to the cross. They're not going to understand it, but here I am in this moment saying that the same people who are cheering for me for life, life are going to be cheering me for death. What would it be to be writer of the story where the people you are writing in it are speaking against you? Jesus. <laughs> but I am looking to Jesus. And what did it say about looking to Jesus? The author and the finisher of our faith. Yes. Who for the joy was set before him endured the cross. The nature of the joy he felt with regards to us and our salvation is described as joy. Uh, there is no part of the cross that isn't as brutal as it sounds. It is the worst torture you can imagine. There's no part of that judgment hall and beating that can be described as anything other than brutal and torture and hurtful. But the scripture said of Jesus, there was joy that was set before him that allowed him to endure all the suffering. Yes, yes, The author wrote it. And I'm here to tell you today that sometimes your purpose requires you to go through the difficult times because there's joy on the other side of it. And you've got to allow the joy to pull you through, pull you through all the parts that are hurtful and frightful and the things that you don't want ever to remember, but you have to remember the joy of who God is in your life is going to pull you through it. It's funny, you know, sometimes when we see people, 
we always kind of get enamored with their success. Like, like we see, you know, a person and we say, oh, they must be, they must, their life must be fantastic. Like, I, I've seen the result, but you really don't know the story behind any of that. Like, there's a saying that you, you know my, you see my glory, but you don't know my story. Like, you don't know, like, LeBron James is one of the best athletes I've ever seen. But I know that he has to work incredibly hard to get to that, to maintain that for so long. You have to be sacrificing some, you have to give up some, like you're seeing the championships, the scoring records, the average points per game, rebounds, assist. you see all of that. But do you see him waking up at five o'clock in the morning with a personal trainer that's kind of killing him that day and he just wants to eat some cake and just hang out with his kids. He just wants to do all those things but he says, you know what, there's something I'm looking for that makes this sacrifice absolutely worth it. That makes this part of the journey absolutely worth it. And I'm telling you the same way it was worth it for him, it's gonna be worth it for you. You have to endure this part and all you can focus on is the joy. Yes. The scripture, the song we used to sing all, we always sing is, weeping may endure for a night. But, yes, I, I love this song so much. But joy cometh in the morning. Like that pulls you through. It helps you get up like, I know this is terrible right now, but I'm gonna get through this. There's something waiting for me on the other side. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Let me just read a couple more scripture uh, to you. 1 Corinthians 2, verses 9 through 10. 1 Corinthians 2, 9 through 10. I'm going to just take a few moments of your moment, of your time. 1 Corinthians 2, verses 9 through 10. But as it is written, it's written this way. I have not seen. Your eyes haven't seen it. Nor ear heard. Neither has you heard anything about this neither have entered into the heart of man and you haven't even imagined it right <laughs> like if you didn't hear it see it and i'm telling you you're going to try to imagine it the imagination's coming up short right. yes neither has it entered into the heart of, of man the things which god has prepared for them that love him so wait a minute if i love him my imagination, neither my sight nor my hearing, can possibly understand the scope of the thing he has prepared for me. Like, you're going through difficult times and you're going through rough times, and the scripture says you can't imagine what I actually have prepared for you. Like, you're not even, your imagination isn't up to the task. <laughs> your thoughts and ideas aren't it. It's coming up short. Keep going. But God, verse 10, has revealed them unto us by his spirit. Ha, this is the part I wanted to get to. The spirit, you want to know what's happening in your life? I'm encouraging you to get relationship with the spirit. Yes. Because the spirit, as we've said, through Jesus is the author yes. and the finisher of your life. You can't imagine it, you can't see it, you can't hear it. The author knows it. The author knows it. Let's keep reading that again. But God has revealed them unto us by his, his spirit. spirit. I'm just going to double down on the spirit and ask the spirit to help me with this. 
I don't understand what I'm going through or why I'm going through it. I'm not the author, I can't see it. The storyline's complicated, I don't get it. And I wanna see the end right now, but I'm just gonna go to the author and ask him for some help. Author, what's going on right now? Why is my story this bad? Why is it going this bad today? And only to find out that in the last two minutes of the movie, in the last two minutes of the film, he's gonna show you why everything you've been through makes sense. It makes sense now. Now that I know the end, now that I've seen the end and the beginning, it makes sense now. The frustration part of this is that you've gotta start trusting the author. You've gotta start trusting the one who writes the story. You've gotta start tr putting trust in him who endured the cross, who knew the end of the story, who knew what he was coming into to Jerusalem and still came, still went through it, and said the joy is worth it. The joy is totally worth it. The experience I'm gonna get from reconciling the world to myself is worth the cross. And I know you're going through and I know there's tough times, I know there's rough times, but I'm here to tell you that what you has prepared for you, I know you can't imagine it today, I know you can't see it today. And even if I told you, you couldn't hear today. But it's worth what is coming right now. The Lord is going to deliver us. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading of his word. Amen.